Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. I like the energy. So I'm going to try not to zap that from you. Okay. So, well, today, as, as Mark alluded to, we do have a very interesting passage in Scripture. And to be honest, I was like, I looked at it, and I, this is true. I went, ah. Oh. And I found out I'm the one that has to talk about it. But uh, as I will share, the Lord uh, said some things to me about it, which I didn't know was going to happen because it just seemed so boring. <laughs> but um, I think the Lord has something good to say. Um, for those of you that are uh, first-time guests or you've only been here a couple of weeks, I just want to recap for you that we've been in this series about Hebrews that we call Greater Than, that Jesus, as the author in Hebrews will say, is greater than anyone that you can think of or anything. He's the great high priest. He's the deliverer. He's the God that has no beginning and no end. He's, he's it. And we've gone through how he's greater than the angels, how he's greater than Moses. How, and today we're going to ex- discover how he's greater than Abraham, and he's greater than a guy that uh, has a name that is very difficult to pronounce. Um, a name that we've heard a couple of times already in Hebrews in chapters 5 and 6, and that is Melchizedek. And we'll talk about him in just a minute. And last week we talked about how when God makes a promise, what happens? He keeps it, Right? And that is a scary thought. And I don't mean it's like, oh, here comes the boogeyman. It's like it is an awe-inspiring fear that there is no one greater than God, so God ha- had to swear upon himself. Right? We swear upon something greater than ourselves so that we can make a point that this is important, and I'm going to make sure I do it. Right? I swear on my mother's grave. I swear... To God, I swear, something that we respect or hold in high esteem that we feel is greater than what we carry, we swear to. And God's the greatest, so he swears upon himself. And when he says he's going to do something, you better believe he's going to do it. And we promise things all the time. We say we're going to do things. God says, don't make oaths and stuff like that, because I don't hold them lightly. Let your yes be yes and your no be what? No, your word is your word, right? And We've given our word, and we've fumbled that, right? How many have broken a promise other than me, all right? Or have done something that you said you weren't going to do, okay? So there are times that we will fail. People will let you down, but that doesn't make you a failure. There's a, there's a difference, right? We will consider ourselves as failures when we fail, but when we fail, it gives us opportunity to learn and step further into the presence of God. And it's the hope that we have in him. There's this great hope. So the people, as we discussed last week, the people that the author is writing to in Hebrews have done some challenging, gone back to their default button because of challenging circumstances and persecution. So the author is saying, "I, I don't want you to do that. I want you to abide in Christ. But he doesn't shame them, right? He says at the end of the passage, he says, there's hope for you yet. There's still hope for you. So if you fail, it doesn't make you a failure. It doesn't mean you're done. It doesn't mean game over. But somehow we treat ourselves that way, and then we go into the shame spiral. We self-isolate, and we feel bad for ourselves, and then we just really remove ourselves from what God wants to do in us and through us. Has anyone done that? I've done that. It's very easy to fall into. So before we get into the passage, I want to I share a story to kind of set this up. Back in 2000. Eight, I think, 2008, 2009, I was um, a youth pastor at a church in San Diego, 
and I was very close to our associate pastor, Sean, and he's from, uh, originally from Fridley, so we had this Minnesota connection. I married someone that wants to live there, and I told her it'll never happen, and now you're here, and now I'm here. <laughs> Um, and so anyway, Sean and I were good friends, and so we, we uh, planned this little mini retreat to plan a men's retreat. And so we had a couple of guys come with us, and, and how many of you have had someone disciple you at one time or another in your life? Or that has, you've, you've kind of put on a pedestal because of who Jesus is in them, right? They inspire you to be better. They, you go, man, I want to be like so-and-so. And sometimes what we can do is make that person an idol, right? I mean, I want to be like this person, when what we're attracted to is Jesus within them. And I think everyone should be mentored. I think everyone should be discipled no matter what your age. And I think there's tremendous value to that. But we can take it a bad direction sometimes, which we'll talk about in a minute. But some of these guys, one in particular named Joe Johnson, was one of those guys for me. When he walks in a room, you feel the peace, you feel the sweetness of Jesus. And... Within 10 minutes, you're crying because he has this, you, you, you do not go through an encounter with Joe without crying. That is a rule. It just happens uh, because he's so safe. And then you're spilling your guts and you're like, I said everything, <laughs> right? Um, he was that kind of guy. So he's on this retreat with us. Well, Sean, Sean likes to cause trouble. I like to cause trouble. But I like to be, if I'm with someone that causes trouble, I'll be the, the voice of reason so I can, I can point the finger, right? So we're, we're, there's only a few of us on this retreat center up in the mountains. And Sean and I are bored. It's kind of, I don't know, it's like 8.30 at night. We're bored. And we want to do something. We don't know what to do. So we look around, and there is a beautiful golf cart with the keys in it at the main office. And no one's there. Not my proudest moment, but again, I tried to talk Sean out of it, but in my heart was like, do it. So we took the golf cart, and we start driving around, and we're laughing, and we're like, oh, we got to be quiet. You know, we don't want anyone to let us know. And so we're trying to make each other laugh, so we get caught, and, but we don't want to get caught. Isn't that weird? And so then um, he had me drive, and I, I was like, let's make this fun. And so there is this, uh, next to our rooms, there are about five or six rooms, and there's this little outside corridor. It's very thin. And so I thought, let's drive it through that. That should be awesome. So we're driving downhill. I have to make this tight turn into this really narrow passage. And so I turn it. I slam into the wall. I scrape off a nice line of paint off the thing. I'm like, oh, no. And then he's like, shh, be quiet. And as we drive, it was, we, he's like, just keep going. So we're driving through this corridor because we're in it now and you can't I mean, we were like this. It was like wall to wall, and there's no way we can go back now, so we just have to go forward. So we were going to pass Joe's room. So we had to be very quiet. Now there are these big windows, and usually the blinds are pulled, but Joe's weren't. The light was on. Joe has no idea what's going on. And we passed Joe's room, and he's laying on his back on his bed worshiping Jesus. And we stopped the cart, and we're watching this. And we look at each other, again, not a proud moment, we both look at each other and we're like, we're going to hell. <laughs> we were so bored, we had space, we had time, we had rest available to us, and we decided to borrow a, a golf cart. We did bring it back, so it's borrow. And here's a man 
who is sitting in the presence, the sweet presence of Jesus, worshiping. And I remember saying, and Sean said it too, I want to be like that. I want to be like Joe. And I'll tell you in a minute why that um, can lead down the wrong road. So, keeping that in mind. If you have your Bibles, please open them to Hebrews 7. If not, there's an insert in your bulletin, and I will have it on screen. It's just good to get in the habit of bringing your Bible with you, um, even though we provide the passage for you. So I want to encourage you to continue to bring your Bibles, even if it's on your phone or your iPad. So, but the hard copy doesn't have batteries, so just letting you know. So, let's start here. Actually, I want to start um, the last couple of verses in verse 6, and then you can pick up with me here, uh, verse 1 of chapter 7. So this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So there's that name. Verse 1, chapter 7. This Melchizedek was a king of the city of Salem and also a priest of God Most High. Now, many scholars believe that Salem um, is the first time we hear about Jerusalem. Okay? Uh, so they don't fully agree, but it's a possibility that this Melchizedek was the king of what we now would call Jerusalem. Um, when Abraham was returning after winning a great battle against kings, Melchizedek came or met him um, and blessed him. Then Abraham took a tenth of all he had, captured in battle, and gave it to Melchizedek. The name Melchizedek means king of justice, and king of Salem means king of peace. There is no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors, no beginning or end to his life. He remains a priest forever, resembling the Son of God. Okay. There's a lot here, so I'm going to give you the highlight points because Mark is going to touch uh, on this next week, so I'm kind of setting him up for a home run. So if he hits a home run... <laughs> so I won't divulge too much because I don't want to take away from his amazing message, which it will be. Um, so what we have here is a reintroduction to the name Melchizedek. We hear the phrase, in the order of Melchizedek, right? Like it's, it's this standard. There's this big thing that happens. Now here we're told that Abraham was returning home from winning great battle against, uh, uh, against kings, and Melchizedek blessed him. And Abraham took a tenth and kept it. So we see Abraham, we see Melchizedek. So two people in the, in the Hebrew culture that go with Moses, that go with the angels, okay, and what we're going to see here um, is how Jesus is still greater than them. Now, but before we do that, there's a lot of debate on who Melchizedek is. It's a hard name to say. <laughs> um, some believe, and I'm just going to give you a couple, couple of uh, big beliefs here of who he might be. And then I'm going to make the point later, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but that being said, some believe it's Shem, the oldest son of Noah that Seth was considered a great high priest who passed it on to Methuselah, who passed it on to Noah, who passed it on to Shem. That's what Jews believe mostly, is that Melchizedek is Shem. The other one, the other argument, is that it's Jesus himself. It's the first time we see Jesus. Um, that's a possibility. Uh, the, the last one, the last big one, 
is it's something else that Melchizedek is a guy we know nothing about. And I would hold that that's probably the most true out of the three. And, and when you look at Scripture as a narrative, when you look at the patterns in Scripture, um, it would lead you to believe that he was a man that died, was born and that, was, and that died, but there is no record of him. There's no record of his birth and there's no record of his death. And in the Hebrew culture, and we see this all through Scripture, it's the most boring chapters in Scripture, the son of, the son of, the son of, the son of, all names you can't understand because they're 12 syllables, and right? This is how they keep track, but they can't keep track of this guy, and we'll explain why. So the perception of Melchizedek is that he has no beginning and no end. The key word there, perception. And it really doesn't matter. See, sometimes mystery needs to be mystery. It needs to be there. Because when you, when you try to probe around the mystery, you can miss the point. Has anyone experienced that? Okay. I just got done watching this mini-series on Houdini. And I, you know, my curiosity goes, I want to know how he does this stuff. Is anyone, when you watch a magician, you're curious? You want to know? But then when you know, guess what? It takes the purpose out of it. It takes, it takes the fun out of it. it take, now, some go, man, that was fun. Now I know. Now I can fool people, you know? Maybe. But sometimes things, mysteries just need to be left alone because they're there to build a point. And that's what I believe the writer's doing here with Melchizedek. It's not so important about who he was, but what he represents, which is what we'll see here in just a minute. Now, against the argument that he's Jesus, we see in verse 3, the end of verse 3, says he remains a priest forever, the perception that he has no beginning and no end, because we have no record of birth or death. But it says resembling the Son of God. Does it say there, this is the Son of God. Melchizedek is the Son of God. Do you hear that? Do you hear Melchizedek is Jesus? No, you do not hear that. What you hear is he's someone that resembles the character of the Son of God, which we'll talk again about in a minute, which I'm actually kind of excited about. So starting in verse 4, consider then... I want you to pay attention to that word consider, think about, ponder, mull it around in your head. Consider how great this Melchizedek was, past tense. Even Abraham, the great patriarch of Israel, recognized this by giving him a tenth of what he had taken in battle. Now the law of Moses required that priests who are descendants of Levi must collect a tithe from the rest of the people of Israel, who are also descendants of Abraham. But Melchizedek, who is not a descendant of Levi, collected a tenth from Abraham. And Melchizedek placed a blessing upon Abraham, the one who had already received the promises of God. And without question, the person who has the power to give a blessing is greater than the one who is blessed. If you are a Jew, hearing this, because Abraham is the man. It's where you come from. Right? I mean, if you're, if you're a recipient of this letter and you hear that this guy Melchizedek, who we don't know much of, even they don't, is greater than Abraham, the patriarch? Whoa. I would be like, well, wait, 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 wait. We know nothing about Melchizedek. Right? We know a lot about Abraham. 
We know what he's done. We know he's the faithful one. We know he's the one that's walked with God. That's huge. So the writer here is saying, guess what, though? Jesus trumps not just Abraham. He also trumps the one that trumps Abraham. That's a big deal. Maybe not to us, but if you're receiving this exhortation, that's a big deal. There's someone greater than Abraham, and Jesus is greater than one that's greater than the guy you thought was greatest. It's almost confusing. And he asks the first word in verse 4, to consider how great he was. He wants you to think about how great he was, because he's he's about to drop some knowledge on you. Right? Consider how great Melchizedek is, who's greater than Abraham, because what's going to happen next is going to blow your mind, because Jesus is greater than that high priest. Jesus, as we're told in in the earlier chapters, is the one and only great what? High priest. The mediator. The eternal mediator between us and God. It's only through Christ Jesus that we have eternal life. He is the mediator. So, verse 8. The priests who collect tithes are men who die. So Melchizedek is greater than they are because we are told he lives on. In addition, we might even say that these Levites, the ones who collect the tithe, paid a tithe to Melchizedek when their ancestor Abraham paid a tithe to him. For although Levi wasn't born yet, the seed from which he came was Abraham's body when Melchizedek collected the tithe from him. So, that's not confusing. So basically, because the Levites come from Abraham, guilt by association, if you will, in a way, generationally speaking, paid a tithe to Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is not of that tribe. He's not of that tribe, and that's important to know, because the, the absence of his birth, the, record, the absence of the record of his birth and his death says he lives forever, which is what we need to know, is that he's a, a priest that has no end, and whether he is or not is irrelevant. The fact is that Jesus is in that line, meaning he has no beginning and no end. He cannot be boxed in by a race of people, right, because this was... He was just picked by your bloodline. The Levites were. Melchizedek was not. So that says to us, what's encouraging is that Jesus is made available to everyone, not just the Jews. Everybody. Which is why he trumps Abraham and anyone else. So, here we have this guy that we don't know anything about. But he's being held to quite the high standard, is he not? He resembles the Son of God. That's huge. So there are two, two really big things here I, I want to talk about. One is this. We can take encouragement from this. We can take encouragement from this. Because if Melchizedek was born and he died, then we know that it's possible to live in Christ Jesus in such a way that people will confuse you for him. If you continue to abide in Christ Jesus, guess what? You're going to look like Christ Jesus. And then 2,000 years from now, someone might say, well, John could have been Jesus. Because his character was such, it was identical. That God was moving in him in such a wonderful way that was hard to differentiate between the two. That should be encouraging. How many of you 
have, have gotten to a point in life at one time or another, whether you meant it or not, it was a reactive thing, I don't care, because I've done this, you're like, you have a failing, you, you, you screw up, you do something, and you go, what's the point of all of this? Who's thought that at one time in your life, right? You have those moments, you go, what's the point? Because I'm never going to make this standard. I'm never going to get there. Well, if you're talking about being righteous in every single deed you do, this side of heaven, that's probably true. But guess what? We have eternity with Jesus because we're not fully going to get it because he's so big. That's why he's uncreated. That's why he has no beginning and no end so that we can forever get to know him. That's the point. You know, we say, what's the point? Because we hold ourselves to the standard. But guess what? There's encouragement that when we abide in Christ, there is possibility that we can allow ourselves to be transformed to the point people will confuse us with Jesus. That should be encouraging. Because then we don't have to say, what's the point anymore? Because we know it's a journey from infancy to maturity, right? We know it's a journey from milk to solid food. That's what we're told. It's a journey. The author didn't even want to talk about Melchizedek because he said, you guys are on milk. I can't talk to you about this stuff because this is meaty stuff. And it is meaty stuff, right? We hear this and we're like, that makes no sense. How many read ahead this week? Did anyone read ahead? How many were like, yeah, right? It is kind of that. It kind of gives that reaction. But that's when we approach it the way we would approach it. Because we like to to discover all the mysteries. We like to have the answers. We like to know everything that's going on because that's our nature of control, right? We want to know. We want to know what's going on. But we're not going to know what's going on with Melchizedek completely, and we don't need to because the point is, the perception was he was a guy that resembled Jesus to the T, and he was resembled, or he was He was perceived as to be one that had a priesthood that would not end to make the point that Jesus is of that caliber, but greater. He's greater than that. The second thing is that we can take this the wrong way. Is that we can put people on the pedestal because the thing we love about those people is Jesus. And sometimes we can forget that. And then we find people let us down. Don't we? It doesn't matter who you are, you will at one point let someone down. Does that make you a failure? Does it make you a shameful person? No. (laughs) Because how are you going to learn? I mean, we're going to make mistakes. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Jesus will never disappoint you. Now, that sounds like something you'd put on a bumper sticker. It sounds like that airy Christian talk. This is, this is what the writer is saying to these people who are being challenged, who want to go back to what they know, putting people on pedestals, right? That's why the writer is going through each big one and knocking them down with the comparison because Jesus is greater and he won't disappoint. The law will disappoint you. Moses will disappoint you. He did disappoint people, right? He was not perfect. David will disappoint you. Adultery, there it is. These people will disappoint you. Jesus will never disappoint you. You may not understand the way he moves and the way he, he, 
he does things in your life, and that may drive you nuts, and it may feel disappointing, but when we are patient and abiding in him, we begin to see he never disappoints. Don't confuse situational circumstances of the now as Jesus letting you down. Don't confuse that. Because you're talking to God that sees everything. Things you will never see until it happens to you. So for us to confuse that can be very damaging to our relationship with Jesus. Because it's easy to go, Jesus, you disappointed me because this didn't happen. Because the mystery drives us nuts. The mystery absolutely drives us nuts. But when we abide in Jesus, and that's going to be the key thing here, when we abide in him, then we begin to see. And abiding means to stay put. Stay where you are with him. Okay, when he says, right here, right here, you stay there. Okay? If you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. My daughter, Gracie, is driving me nuts right now. She's driving me bonkers. Because one of the things that I've had to say over the last four days, Gracie, with a nice voice, I look at her, say, look at me. She looks at me, you know. I'm like, stay here. Don't move. Who said that? Okay? Stay put. And you say that for a reason, right? You have a reason for that. Because their best interest is at heart. That's what you want. Stay put. So yesterday, I, I give her a treat in that she's, usually she eats at her little chair. So she has this little table in the living room. It was just she and I for the day. So I said, you know what? We're going to sit at your little Mickey Mouse table, and we're going to eat. You don't have to be confined and all that stuff. And so she's like, yeah, she's so excited. But she's antsy. She's like me, okay, but with a few upgrades. <laughs> and not necessarily in the great way. Okay, energy, if I'm here, she's here, right? Stubbornness, if I'm here, she's here. So she's taking who I am and go, I'm going to improve on this. Clearly, she doesn't know what that word means yet. So I now got to go get Emmett. So I say what? Stay put. Now, being the little schmoozer that she is, a little manipulator, and I can't help as someone that fights being a manipulator, be kind of proud. <laughs> um, just kidding. She, uh, she looks at me, she goes, and I'm not even kidding. I stay put, Daddy. She knows how to close her eyes, do the little look with the little hand. I stay put. You're good. Do your thing, right? It's like, I'll stay put. So I go in to the room, and I hear silence. That's always bad, because she's always talking. So when there's silence, you know something's wrong. And I turn around, and she scares the living daylights out of me because she's standing right there looking up at me. What'd you do, Daddy? Why didn't you stay put? I think, man, if I'm God, I'm, my children will be driving me nuts because he makes it very, very, very clear on what our objective is. John 15, remain in me. See, the problem is we complicate things. Why does, why does a God who loves his children, 
who's so big and so great, have to be cryptic about himself. We make him sound cryptic. Oh, he's, man, I don't know, it's confusing. Right? It is confusing. But we're looking at too many different things. What he says is what he says in the garden. In the garden, he just wants to be with us, right? He just wants us to walk with him, experience his love and his grace. That's all he wants. And then we see in John 15, remain in me and I will be with you because apart from me, you can do what? Yeah, absolutely. This is why he's greater than Melchizedek, Moses, Abraham, the angels, because wherever Jesus is, life happens. And wherever he is, is the best place to be. So he's telling you in John 15, stay put. Stop moving. We've got this hurry sickness in this culture. We have this control issue. That's just humanity. And then in the Christian church, we get lost in the mission instead of the one who sent us. We get lost in the mission instead of the one who sent us. And so we go, you know what? As pastors, I've even done this. Hey, God, I need something from you. This, this uh, set of chairs is empty. Could you throw a little favor and fill them? It would be awesome. And once you do, peace out, and then I will talk to you when I need. Oh, I actually need this one, too. Can you do that, too? Throw that in there? A little bonus, right? And then we say it's about Jesus. We believe it's about Jesus, but yet we leave Jesus behind. Because we're caught up in the mission rather than the one who sent us. Because he doesn't want you to go out and do things for him. He wants you to do it with him. So if you're standing with him, then you're going with him. So it's not so much about the mission, it's about him. And then you care about what he cares about. So the mission is a result of who you care about most. Not about what needs to be done. Because there will always be things to be done, but you're not... Now's the time. Now's the time to be with him. And so this is, this is what the writer's saying. All these things are happening. And if you abide in Jesus, then your joy, your suffering becomes joy. I don't understand when people, I, I still have a hard time with this. When we lose people we love, how Jesus can take us and we can go, Jesus, I love you in the midst of my pain. I worship you in the midst. I don't know how that happens. I don't need to know. I just need to accept it that when I abide in Christ in such a way, my suffering, my tears turn to joy and hope. These people need to hear hope. These people need to move away from the elementary stuff and get into the heart of Jesus. That's what I'm saying. All the elementary things are the things we get lost about in the mission and not the one who sent us. They have importance, they have value, absolutely, but without Jesus, they're nothing. They're hollow acts, they're empty, they don't breathe life on their own. If we talk about the sacraments all day, outside of the the life of Christ, then who cares? Because it's about Him. The mission comes as a result of being with Him, and no one else, no one else, not Melchizedek, Not Abraham, Moses, angels, or anything can do what Jesus does. Because in the end, everyone will disappoint you. And that doesn't mean, now don't don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't trust people and take that the wrong way. What I'm saying is that Jesus is completely trustworthy. We've talked about that. And you may not understand his ways, 
But you don't need to. Because your job and your life's call is simple. Stay put. Stay with me. Stay where I am. And then you'll experience. Then you'll see things. Then you'll begin to understand. Then you'll begin to know. And then you'll find what you thought you know was nothing compared to the reality. All right, I'm handing the baton off to you, Mark, for next week. Jesus is the standard. And that's the point we see here. Melchizedek is all these wonderful things that gives us hope that we can resemble Jesus in a wonderful way because he transforms us. But we want to be careful to giving that away to someone other than, it, other than Jesus. And all he wants us to do is stay put. Is to be with him, to know him, to allow him, as we've said a million times, and I'm going to say a million times more. Obviously, it's an exaggeration. But I'm going to say more and more and more that our goal, our hope, our call is to allow God to love us. Because when you do that, you're where he is. When you do that, transformation happens. When you do that, every desire you think was a desire becomes void because God's desires become yours. You'll have desires in your heart that you, you never thought you had. None of these guys, none of these heroes in the Jewish culture, in, in our Christian culture, can do what Jesus can do. That's the point. So he's telling them, stay put. Don't hit your default button. Don't go back what you, what you used to know because it's easy. Stay with me. Stay with me. Because when you don't, you get lost. When I'm in the grocery store with Gracie, I say, hold my hand. Stay with me because I don't want you to get lost. Because when you get lost, you're going to be crying, daddy, 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 daddy. You're going to cry. You're going to be fearful. You're going to experience isolation. You're going to experience things you never wanted to experience in the first place, but you had to do your own thing. And sometimes it takes that to understand that you need to stay with Dad, with Abba. Stay with me. Because when you're with me, real life happens. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your tenderness. And we thank you that Abraham... Moses, angels, Melchizedek, they're not the standard. You're the standard. They're examples of what you do, but you're the one that does it. There's no splitting of the Red Sea if you didn't will it to happen. If you didn't provide the power and the authority, it doesn't happen. There's no angels without you. There's no miracles without you. There's no life without you. There's no Melchizedek without you. And you are greater than them all. And that gives us an, a, ho a hope, a true hope, in something that is constant, reliable, life-giving, that never disappoints. We may not always understand, but it's not necessarily our job to fully understand. It's our job to stay put where you are and be with you. And then we'll begin to see so, Lord, I just pray as we enter this time of offering and our tithes and our offerings that we would continue to see you as we give. 
whether it be finances, time, relationship, that we would know that you never leave us, you never forsake us. That's a promise. That's an oath you swore on yourself. You said you'll always provide for us, so we don't need to fear. Because you make good on your word. So I pray that in this time of worship, that we would just let it all go. That we would, the things that we are carrying, we would begin the first step by saying, here, Lord, here they are. And I want to let go of them. Because more times than not, it takes more strength to let go than to hang on. And so, Lord, we, we surrender our burdens. We surrender our shame, our fear, our guilt. And we give it to you. And so I just ask in Jesus' name that you'd fill that void with your presence, with your assurances of who you are. I thank you that you're the real deal, that you're the standard. And I do thank you that you give us people that reflect who you are, that encourage us to not live in the phrase, what's the point? But learn to live in the phrase of staying put with where you are. We thank you for those people because they're a blessing. So I thank you that we can become Jesus to people, that people will see us when we abide in you and see Jesus. It's what we want. So we just thank you, Lord, and pray that we experience the great joy of lifting your name and ministering to you on high. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.